0: It was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away.
1: The passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh yeah, that's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. Well, this week, something that we don't do nearly enough on this podcast feature two middle-aged blokes talking about the olden days. At least, that's how this chat ended up, as I chat with cricket writer and the Australian's beer writer, Peter Lawler. Peter is one of those rare creatures in the beer world, a writer who has a mainstream platform for beer. I've wanted to learn more about how Peter came to do this and write about beer for a national broadsheet, and also the similarities between writing about beer and cricket For some time now, as a writer who fully inhabits the passionate niche that is beer writing, I'll admit I expected a different conversation to the one that you will hear. I expected an in-depth chat with someone immersed in the industry and who studies its intricacies through a microscope. Instead, I had a fun chat with someone who loves beer and writes about it with interest and flair without being completely consumed by it. In that sense, it's a very different conversation to that which we normally have on this podcast, but it's also an instructive and an important one in that it is a huge leap outside of the beer bubble, not even the craft beer bubble that I suspect many of us, and especially myself, inhabit. Enjoy this conversation with Peter Lawler. Peter Lawler, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Well, oh, nice to join you, Matt. <laughs> I have to say, I'm I'm in awe, Like I, I get told all the time that as a beer writer um, who makes a living from it, that I've got the best job. But to be a sports writer and you know have a side in beer riding uh, <laughs> is kind of like a, you know winning lotto. Yeah,
0: I mean, it is, isn't it? I can't I can't disagree. Like I mean, even without the beer, I've got the best job in the world. I mean, on the um, senior correspondent for the Australian and I follow the Australian test team around the world and I said test team which means I don't really need to have to watch that other stuff It drives me <laughs> mad and keeps me out of bed late at night because I like to finish the day at six and go out for dinner um, I'm old school um, yeah best job in the world if I have to look for a downside um, I can't drink beer and watch cricket like most other people do That's generally, I'm at work, aren't I? There are a few hours after play where I might get the odd one in.
1: Well, I I can't have a beer during the day either because there's just something about a beer that you just relax and sort of work productivity no matter how well your intentions are. You just can't keep the work rate up. And as a cricket commentator or as a cricket writer, you've got to be mentally there the whole day.
0: Oh yeah, yeah no, it's impossible. It'll just make things really hard. I'm, I'm, I've got I've got a failing brain, so I, I really <laughs> need a lot, a lot of coffee and a lot of concentration to stay on the ball.
1: Unlike you, you, your average uh, cricket tragic, who you know gets to go to the five days of the test in their hometown uh, or whatever, mm. you know anything that you have to do day in day out is is work.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. To a degree, it's work. Look, yeah, if you're looking for downsides, if no one's ever going to feel sorry for you. But <laughs> no. No, but you're away from home a lot that um, as it's ups and downs, but generally it, it places a lot of strain on the family and the missus. And, mate, I hate hotel rooms. You know, you're living in hotel rooms and I'll go, Scott, I cannot stand hotel rooms. <laughs> I will come in and I, I can I can have a shower and get changed and be out of a hotel room in two minutes. <laughs> That's how much time I'll spend in them. But, uh, no, look. The other, the, the great thing about it too is, I just love writing. I love, like, putting words in rows. I love the sounds of words. Um, and cricket is a really great thing to write about. Um, you know, th- there's narratives and, and people indulge you when you're a cricket writer, particularly if you work for the broadsheet like I do. Um, you know, so I can uh, really, you know, um, have a little bit of a wank and like make poetry references and obscure rock and roll or country and western or film you know you can just have fun and I love have uh, I still get a kick out of writing and I really get a kick out of that quick turnaround writing I love okay your time starts now I'm not a big fan of um, feature writing and I do it occasionally but as little as possible like I think I did a big profile on Tim Payne for the magazine during the year but that that starts to feel like work Um, well it takes more effort anyway getting all pulling all the threads together. I, I'll just love okay, well days play, you know, maybe half an hour after the last ball, you've got to have your story in. Mm. So there's pressure there. Um and there's also that relief because you say, well, time's up. I can't do anything else. You know, you, you soon get over your ego. You know, you're just go, this is a pile of poo tickets, but <laughs> bad luck. And, uh, and let's start again tomorrow because you know, it's all I can do.
1: So how did you get into it? Because it's a fairly plum job. Did you start as a journo Ooh. who loved cricket and worked your way into the sports department or did you start as a sportsman who could write a bit?
0: No, no, I was just a, a, a normal, ordinary knockabout journalist um, and I was on the Telegraph which is kind of is where my beer career took off too but um, I I applied to join the Australian um, around the time of the Iraq war I think one of them not the first one obviously uh, Or was it the Afghanistan war I can't remember it would have been in the early 2000s um, and as you know, almost as I was walking down the stairs the editor-in-chief said oh, can you just go and sit in the sports department for a little while? Was supposed to be a, I was supposed to be a magazine colour writer for the Australian, you know, and do news and that sort of thing. Uh, and I went, oh, man, I don't really know a lot about sport. I mean, I love Aussie rules and I love cricket. And he said, oh, well, you are get that. And they, they actually made me like a, a sports features writer for a little while. And then they turned around and said, they had an argument with the cricket reporters and uh, said, would you go to India and cover the 2004 tour of India, which was a historic tour because that's the first one that Australia had won since Bill Laurie was captaining, captaining the team. Um, it was pretty intimidating, but also just the gig of a lifetime because I, when I was younger, I was quite the hippie and had spent two years hanging around in India, not doing much, <laughs> not drinking much beer either. And um, so I went to India and that was it. I just The job stuck to my shoes after
1: that. Yeah.
0: So it was just an accident,
1: yeah. Did you have a love of cricket before then or was it a learn-on-the-job oh, yeah, sort of yeah. thing?
0: Well, I had a love of cricket like most people do. I mean, you know, like most cricket lovers do. I love sitting on the couch and watching cricket or, or going, you know, I, I was born in Bendigo. When we were kids, we'd get on the train and go up to the MCG for the test match and that sort of stuff. You know, I adored Dennis Lilly. I've still got a photo of Dennis Lilly on my wall. So, yeah, I had a love of cricket, but I w- wouldn't call myself a nuffie. And I would say that there's probably half the crowd know more about, you know, stats and history and all that sort of stuff than I do. I I call myself a a journalist, really. Um, I report on the game and I know where where to find the information if it need be. But, uh, no, it was intimidating and and I must admit there was some pretty sort of – so the guys that were were covering cricket at that point, they'd been – you know, they cut their teeth in the domestic scene and, you know, uh, covering Sheffield Shield cricket and they'd all been at it for years and, um, yeah, I mean – I. I kind of blundered in there in my clown shoes. But one thing I thought was, oh, well, they can't expect too much from me because I've never done it before, so I'll just have a crack.
1: <laughs> and how did you uh, how did you end up as the, the beer writer for the, the the telly and then going to the Australian as well?
0: Uh, similarly accidental. Um, I was the a feature writer for The Telegraph, and we used to have quite a healthy, thriving feature section in those days. And they started up a food and wine section, I think it was on the Tuesday. And they said, we need an article about beer. Can you just drop in and help them out for the first edition? I went, oh, oh, well, everybody sit down. I hope I'm not going to offend anybody, but I only drank VB in those days. (laughs) I didn't have enough money to drink fancy beer. And Mm. and basically, there wasn't fancy beer anyway. Uh, I'm trying to defend myself. But I was a person of simple taste, let's say. I wrote an article about VB because that's (laughs) all I knew. I wrote, you know, one of those. Um, you know, VB's cool again. You know, it's kind of ironic. It's sort of the, the, you know, the young crowd's getting into it. A bit like that sort of ironic reshes thing that everyone has these At days. At the moment, and, yes. Yeah. I wrote a sort of, you know, I made some nonsense up about that. And they loved it so much. They said, good on you. You're the beer columnist from now on. <laughs> oh, hey, that's my only trick. <laughs> I got nothing else. So I went on this, the steepest learning curve. um I was talking about this to someone yesterday. I, um, I went down to the uh, oh the home brew shop, the Eastern Suburbs, I think it was called Eastern Suburbs Brew Shop. Learned how to home brew. I uh, bought books. I rang every person in town who knew anything about beer. Um, I did course. I did beer judging and tasting courses. I think um, Mike, Michael Jackson or one of those guys, a uh, Prots guy, might have run one of them out Roger, yeah. in Australia. Yeah, Roger Prots or well, anyway, it was around that period, I just threw myself in the deep end and basically tried to keep a few hours ahead of my readers um, <laughs> who came on a journey with me. Um, and it went pretty well. Because, well, there wasn't a lot of beer in those days to write about.
1: So when, when are we talking about now? So we're talking 25 years ago. Okay,
0: yep. You know, somewhere in that period there. Um, so James uh, Chuck had just moved into the James Squire, I think it was called the Malt Shovel Brewery then, on. Um, is that on Par- in Sydney? Yeah. Did he take so, you under
1: his wing by any chance once you started oh, writing about beer? Oh,
0: just a bit. Very, like, <laughs> so happy to – I mean, it was great for those guys because the Daily Telegraph the biggest sewing newspaper in the state, and they've got this guy here who doesn't know anything, and is just desperate for something to write about every week. But, you know, um, there just wasn't a lot to write about. I mean, I can remember every one of, of uh, Chuck's new beers being released because – Oh, thank God something to write about I mean compare and contrast it to today I mean while we've been talking I think seven new beers have just been released on the market <laughs> perhaps 70 you know um, then little creatures opened up on the other side of the continent uh, like in those days you would write about you know cascade was a story you just go kind of, I mean I used to say sometimes the story is better than the beer um you know but the industry was just starting a sort of well I don't reckon the industry was sure whether to fuck or fight craft beers, you know. <laughs> okay. um, you know, there was kind of that thing where they'd buy them, buy them up to shut them down, or you know, they bought out um, uh, Redback over in
1: Perth, Matilda Bay, yeah, the,
0: yeah, the canning line and that stuff. Um, and when they would buy them, they basically just shut them down or let them run down. But they were starting to flirt with it, you know. Cascade did some Valley of the Hop beer or something or other. I don't know, and we went out. On a hop harvest. Yeah. Oh, the
1: the first harvest uh, beer. Yeah, drink, yeah, is it? That, yep. yeah
0: geez, you're good, Matt. You're you're older <laughs> than you look. Um, yeah, and then I I, I mean I, I had to, I, I would write about international beers as well. So I mean I went to Belgium and I went to Ireland and those were I mean I even went on a couple of beer junkets. I mean Stella I think took me to Cannes for a week and then took me around
1: uh, took me around Belgium to show me
0: off all there. All the breweries that they had over there, like the Hoogarden Garden Brewery, and
1: I have to say that is one of the advantages of having a mainstream, major, broadsheet beer column because I've never been flown over to. Uh...
0: No, no, <laughs> no, that wouldn't happen again. And uh, one of my uh, last gigs was a ripper with because this was Willie Simpson was the only other beer writer in the world just about in those days. Mm. You would know Willie. I'd know you? Willie. Yep. There's probably a, they probably have a Willie Simpson Award at the Australian Beer Awards, don't they? I mean, they don't,
1: unfortunately. They should.
0: He's a legend, isn't he? And 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 a brewer himself now. Mm. Um, we were um, whoever it was that owned Guinness said, "Do you want to come over to Dublin and um, check out how we make Guinness?" Oh yeah, all right. <laughs> Flew us over when we flew over uh, there. We checked into this boutique hotel in Dublin, and there was our itinerary five days in Dublin. It involved a walking tour, a visit to the brewery, and dinner. And then it just said, and please yourself the rest of the time. It was a bloody fantastic trip. We waited for this Irish guy to show up and take us on a walking tour of Dublin. He never showed up. So I said to Willie, Hey mate, I spied a little bloody brewery around the, like two blocks down the road when we were coming here. Let's go down there and check it out. This this joke is not gonna show up. So we went down and we banged on the doors of this brewery at about eight AM. You know, we had jet lag. And they opened up the doors and let us in and you know, and we got on the piss and about an hour later there was another bang on the door, and this guy said, Thought I might find you here. I'm <laughs> taking you on a walking tour. Anyway. How long has this
1: podcast got on, that? <laughs> because it might have to shut me up. No, it, it, it's beer is a conversation. Uh, as, <laughs> as we like to say around these parts, wine is a lecture, beer is a conversation. And oh, is that what we
0: say? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, cool. that's, that's
1: where the podcast got its name from anyway. But, uh, but wine it, is a bit oh, – yeah. I like
0: that. Yeah.
1: And, and one of the reasons that I find it fascinating I wanted to speak to you is because, you know, I, I, I can't imagine a major newspaper just throwing – the wine column at somebody because, you know, th- there is this assumed level of expertise, even though we all get something from a glass of wine, no matter our knowledge. Um, you know, wine is mm. something that's elevated and it's meant to be uh, something that is lectured about as opposed yeah. to enjoyed and spoken about. Um, and it, 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 it sounds like you're, to some extent, living proof of, of, of that theory. Mm.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, um, I, you know, I'm always a bit hesitant, and there was a real push in the industry at one point to, you know, that that beer has to be taken with as, as seriously as wine, and you know, it needs to be treated with all that. I'm not so sure. I don't reckon beer should go that far into that territory. I, I think, as you say, it's a conversation. You can talk about it, but I. I turn off a little bit when it gets too serious, when people start to take beer too seriously. And I know it's a terrible thing for a person who is a beer writer to say. And I must say, I don't really write about beer a lot now because I reckon the industry can look after itself. No one needs my advice where to find a good beer because every bottle shop's got them. I mean, you can only get good beer in RSL clubs now. Back in the day, I used to say... God, this pub's got little creatures on. So you drive, you drive 15 suburbs to go and have a beer at somewhere that had the little creatures on or the James Squire Pilsner. but um, do you disagree?
1: No, I, I absolutely agree. And and you know, as somebody who uh, could have you know been accused of taking beer too seriously, I I think that a little bit of knowledge is rewarding. If you understand, you know, particularly the first time somebody has a glass of. Pacific Ale, you know, and yeah. you sort of see it and they sort of screw their nose up and sort of put their head back and, oh, this smells very fruity because yeah. it's not what they know yeah. a- as beer. And if you explain to them that's hops, you know, here's what how hops work, that level of knowledge sure. makes yeah. the, the, the the beer understandable and I always relate that to cheese. You know, if you've only ever had supermarket block cheddar and someone gives you a blue cheese that's got mould in You're never going to eat it unless you have that enough understanding to know this is all Uh, right. Yeah, real good point.
0: And so that, (laughs) by function of the fact that I was actually reading, you know, uh, Beer for Dummies and, (laughs) uh, you know, (laughs) the Children's guides to Good Beers around the world, um, that was sort of the level of the tone of conversation that went on in those Daily Telegraph columns back in the 90s. You know, it's like, hey, did you know that there's bottom fermenting yeast and top fermenting mace. <laughs> I mean, bloody hell, what do they think of next? I mean, it was really doing that. And But once you get to a certain point, you know, and I mean, you can start going down the diacetols and the dimethyl sulfates and the this's and the that's's. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like there's malt and there's hops and there's those sorts of hops and there's those sorts of mo- hops and there's those sorts of malts and those sorts of malts doesn't really leave you a lot to say, does it? And that, that's kind of the, that is a real, the real challenge, isn't it, when you actually try to find the words to describe a beer because basically in the end there's, there's only so many ways to describe a beer because basically it's molten hops, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, oh, no, oh, no, now you've got fruit and kitchen sinks <laughs> and sours and God knows what. I mean, it alarms me. North, the, the sorts of things that's going on in the craft industry now everybody's seeking attention you know by making bigger and weirder beers. And don't get me wrong, some of my favorite beers are weird you know I love mm. sours and things like that but there everyone wants to go to 11 and nobody's working sort of subtle not very few people work in those sort of subtle ranges with beers. It's easier to gain attention by putting in more hops or more alcohol or, hey, let's make a lamington beer, yep. for God's sake. You know, that'll that'll get them looking on the shelf.
1: Um, but there's something infantilizing about beer if you take that to extreme. Yeah,
0: yeah. Some of them just, yeah. oh, I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, it's funny, though, because, you know, I I'll, recently I've been, because I've just compiled that top 20
1: list that I do. Your, your annual top 20?
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I have the things in mind that I've picked up and liked during the year and the things that I've seen other people have liked because, you know, I'm just, I'm conscious not to make it just about my taste, but I go to bottle shops around the area and I say, um, what's going well. And, um, usually the second thing I say is they say, well, what sort of beauty like? And I say, anything that doesn't have fruit in it. uh, (laughs) But I, Ironically, I end up liking beers with fruit in it this year as well. Some of the stuff that's come out of um, Wildflower that's got fruit in it is mm-hmm. just outstanding. Um, and the other thing that happens is if I leave it up to the bloke in the bottle shop or the lady in the bottle shop, I have to cook it. I usually end up with a um, trolley full of 8 to 10% massive beers because they're the ones that actually you know, stand out on the shelf, stand out in tastings and and therefore they're everyone's favorite beer that week so that's my little rant that I've been having for a few years I, I, I need a bit more I, a bit more control and a bit more subtlety I mean it's good to you know you make those beers and if people drink them keep making them but uh, I'm still in search of you know the perfect Pilsner
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me started on a Pilsner because I'm sort of seen the, the, the death of two more Pilsners that I love recently oh, which because two have died. Well, two more have been discontinued because it, it it's one of those beers, uh, and regular listeners yeah. will have heard me sort of espouse this theory. It, yeah. it, it, it's a beer that's too challenging for your mainstream lager drinker, but it's not challenging enough for the craft beer drinker. And then you've also exactly. got this uh, yeah. element of they are so challenging to make and they require time and things that they're not different enough um justify the price point for your mainstream uh, lager drinker either they go tastes just like the thing that i pay 20 dollars a carton less for
0: i reckon and pardon me on this i reckon that um beer palates a bit like wine palates when you're young and you drink wine you drink sort of kids' wines, don't you? Mm-hmm. You drink sweet wines. And, yeah. and Australia, as a rule, drank, you know, Mosels and Rieslings and blah, blah, blah. Then Australia sort of got this mature wine palette and started moving to these oaky to Chardonnays, and then they wanted these oaky Chardonnays and these big, bold wines. And that's the point we're at in uh, the beer in craft beer, I reckon, in a way, in the national palate. And and if you look at wine, it, it, it it's... If, and i know' it tracking my own taste you start to wind it back you actually start to wind it back to those more subtle wines and the more delicate flavors and uh, i think i'd fall off my seat now if i had a big oaky chardonnay mm. In fact, i can't remember the last time i had a chardonnay i'm back <laughs> i'm back on the kids Riesling. <laughs> <laughs> i had a mate that died a couple of years ago and um, he was a mad pikes and we're a we a riesling drinker and whenever we go out to lunch he's a Uh, old retro-rate journo in Melbourne called David Wilson. Whenever we go to lunch, he'd say, I've got mine, you better get yours. (laughs) I'd roll up with a bottle of Pike so that we're a (laughs) a raisling, bang it on the table, and I'd have to run out to the bottle shop or, you know, by the way, because he he was too tight to buy the wine in the restaurant. He died recently, and he he left me a lot of money. Well, not a lot of money, but uh, uh, enough so that I now I now uh, have my David Wilson uh, riesling fund. Drink. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking his uh, his wine bank. Yeah. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with beer. No,
1: but it, it's it, it's all part of the the, the the tapestry that is enjoying drink. Which sometimes, again, you know, one of the reasons I was interested to speak to you was uh, in advance of your top twenty list. In that, when you write, you you, you lived in that when. when writers live in that crafty world, it becomes a little bit removed from the mainstream that still makes up 80 to 85%. So writing for a mainstream broadsheet paper that I would imagine would skew towards you know, our demographic in terms of age a little bit more. Um, yeah. You know, when you bring out your annual top 20 and you've got beers that I'm sure a lot of the readers would never have heard, heard of... What sort of emails do you get or letters uh, do, do you get? <laughs>
0: uh oh i think people sort of take it with and people actually tear it out and like because i'm usually on the cricket tour when it comes out so i'm a bit laid out of the blocks this year but um i find people people look for it and they uh, or they'll, they'll put it in their wallet or they they keep it on their phone and they even actually try and drink through it i get pretty positive feedback i think the most hostile feedback i got one year as a few years back now um was from some beer bloggers who accused me of uh being some interloper who just tried to get free beer from beer companies so he could sort of pass off this list and (laughs) I was denounced in all manner of terms and I actually hadn't done that I tweeted that I was putting the list together and if you've got any beers you think I should be trying let me know certainly wasn't soliciting free beers and in fact I pay for all the beer that goes into that list Mm. out of my own pocket um but apparently, this, I didn't know this, there must be something that you're you, you, you frowned upon if you're actually drinking free samples, and, and good on people for frowning on them. But I think eventually someone said, Look, I reckon I remember that bloke. He's been around forever. <laughs> of course, I'm not very active these days. I kind of, a couple of years ago, I, know, I had a falling out with one of the section editors at the Australian. And, um, I forgot to fall in with the new section editor and it's just drifted now. So I only occasionally write about beer now. My, that beer editor title is very dusty and it's just sitting there waiting for some enterprising young journal to come in and make a name for themselves. But um, oh, I'd, sorry I'd better, to say that no one's actually done it. I'd, I'd better
1: send through my resume before this goes out because there are a lot of aspiring beer journos that are listening.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think – like. Even when I did it for the Telegraph, but it was an add-on to my job. And I don't think I ever, I could never say to, I can't do a serious yarn because I've got to write my beer column. It was something I had to, had to, to put in between the gaps, I think, you know, fill in the gaps. But it was a great experience, um, particularly in the Telegraph that time. And it was one of the rare times, I suppose you get it, I do get it with cricket writing now, but in journalism where you actually felt like you had an audience and they were with you, like, Everyone, got like, beer nerds and beer lovers, they just flocked to the column, and they would send me. Uh, I'm not even sure we had an email in those days, but I get letters and phone calls, and we we put on beer dinners and we made a beer, and people just showed up, and there was this real beer community, there that was just yearning for the craft, you know, for the craft beer industry to take off, and it was so much fun. Well, we used to go up to Bathurst and do the Home Brews Society, and as I said, the beer dinners at the London Hotel, and we brewed this thing called the Daily Telegraph Autumn Ale, <laughs> which uh, we did it at the Pilot Brewery at, down at CUB in Melbourne. Um, they had a little Pilot Brewery, and there's a, a brewer called Michael Jontuff, who was a good brewer. Nick
1: Jontuff, yes. I know him. Yeah. Uh, he retired recently. Did he? Good
0: fella. Yeah. Um, <laughs> basically it was mixed beer but i put my name on it and um, i think it probably went on to become that alpha ale you yep. remember the yeah i think that i reckon it's about there i reckon we were doing a test run for alpha ale but i put on the white gumboots and we made that and we we sold it through a bottle shop on um, anzac parade and we had a keg that we put on at the evil star hotel people came from bathurst and the blue mountains to drink the beer
1: It's funny um, how different, and and again, I'm very conscious of this is two middle-aged white blokes talking about the good old days, um, (laughs) sounding like, um, you know, Grandpa Simpson, uh, as we often do on this show.
0: (laughs) All right. Okay. I'm going to get hit now. (laughs) I'm going to talk about all my young mates in the industry and how blessed I am to live in Marrickville. It's got to be the the centre of the beer universe, wouldn't you say, Matt?
1: It it absolutely is. But do you have a tattoo and a, a beard? An ironic tattoo and a beard. <laughs> Any form,
0: mate. I had tattoos before these blokes were born. These <laughs> men and women who have tattoos now. Not, but I do. I, hey, I'm full. I'm full tragedy. I am an inner west tragic. I'm the I'm the world's oldest hipster, and it's just so good to see so many little breweries around, and they're all going gangbusters too, which is a fantastic thing. I mean, it's I'm, it's a business model that probably started with mountain goat don't you reckon yeah i'm old enough to remember when that started as well but, yeah but yeah basically local beer yeah
1: and, and and that's the thing although you know, you, you've opened the whole question is what's local you know if, if you were right about beer for long enough you get to see all of these small little breweries come survive and then be taken over and yeah be brewed yeah <laughs> you yeah, no longer yeah, be local yeah. but there is still yeah, that there's... part of your heart that wants to buy them because they were once local.
0: Well, back in the day when Camerado started Mountain Goat, before they even were really had anything more than a home brew, they used to, they got all their mates around Fitzroy, North Fitzroy, which was where I, I lived once, and uh, just used to bang on the pub doors and say, "You got to put this beer on." They just use local connections. And it very much became the beer of that sort of uh, Fitzroy, Richmond, wherever they were area. You know, they had street parties and stuff like that. And that's that's at the core of the uh, business model of all the little breweries around here that I love. We'll ignore the ones that get set up to be taken over. That's a whole different thing. Mm. But this, this thing now that the hipsters have done, and I love the hipsters for this, they've gone back to the old thing of, you know, if you can't see the brewery, don't drink the beer. They've gone back to let's just make stuff for the the locals in the local area. You know, it's like, I mean, I've got a picklery up the road and, you know, people making ferments and I've got a little distiller directly across from my house and I've probably got 11 breweries around and I think nine or 10 of them just make, you know, enough beer for here and a little bit further and don't get too far ahead of themselves. And guess what? The world came round to meet them. But not only was there this group of young people who had enough money and enough interest to actually like, engage with the craft beer revolution, then came COVID. And we all just went into lockdown and, and um, local beer sales went through the roof. When I mean, the breweries here, they say June's the quietest month ever. But this June, one of them, this, uh, one of them, my mate said, uh, this is best month in business because people were home and just sort of think, oh, support the local breweries. They're just all going up and drinking the local beer, driving their utes up or getting it delivered or whatever. I even helped out with some deliveries one day. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I, I really love that. I love the way the industry has gone on that thing. Uh, maybe it's because I'm blessed to live here, but most towns you go to, even in the country, country towns now, they have their own breweries, don't they? Mm. And they service their own populations. And that's what beer always was. It was, you know, Somewhat once, once it moved out of the home, once people stopped making it at home, you had a village brewery. I mean, that's the English model. That almost continued to exist right through. They didn't have that big black boot of uh, Carlton United Breweries or Tui's crushing everything and concentrating everything. And then there was Cooper sitting over on the side saying, oh, we've been here for about a 1,000 years making <laughs> this stuff you, you you hipsters are just catching up with. You should call it hippie beer when I was a young bloke. Well,
1: it was what the uni students, uh, you know, the pale um, the was popularised oh, by the uni students.
0: Yeah, well, even the
1: sparkling, I reckon, was the pale kind a bit later on in a way. Mm. Oh, but we're reminiscing. But then, you know, I look at the the evolution of the beer model. So one of one of your uh, hipsterish, you know, the hipster of hipster uh, beers down your way, and it's a great brewery making some great beer and doing some really interesting things in the environmental space and the music space is Young Henry's, Um and, you know, they're so deeply embedded in that community, but then also, you know, a lot of their beer is no longer what you would consider local, but it's a local brand. And the nah, thing that sells yeah. it elsewhere um, is that sense of, you know, West Sydney, but then, but then the, the beer itself. And you sort of can start to see the early escalation of growth and the trajectory that drove some of those Big breweries that put the smaller ones who were trying to uh, compete as being small local breweries out of business. Now, look, I'm fast-forwarding like a thousand years of evolution there, yeah. um, but you can start to see the business challenges.
0: Wow, well, yeah, but and some some you know there is there's some very cynical sort of they're more cynical business models around, aren't there, Where you can see them, they start them, aren't they? They, they force feed them grain and um, they get them plump. <laughs> battery battery breweries, we'll call them. Yeah, yeah. Basically, they just want to be taken over, don't they? And, you know, we can name quite a lot of them through the time. And and I suppose that, see, um, Young Henry's, that's that's nearly three suburbs away. I can't walk there. I don't <laughs> include that in my local, local thing. I've got, uh, you know, I've got Willie's, Willie the Boatman, Batch. I've got uh, Wildflower, Sauce wayward black font black font what a fascinating brewery have you ever heard of i one? haven't
1: been down there yet no i've, I've heard uh, about them and that they've started but haven't uh, obviously with covid haven't had the chance to get down
0: i've been trying to get in there i started hearing about them three or four years ago uh couldn't quite work out where they were or when they were open because it was the world's best kept secret i finally worked out where they were and then they closed for a while. And then the other day I was out walking the dog down a back alley because I just, you know, that's what you do in the, in the West. And um, it was a roller door up and I looked in and, bugger me, it's black font. <laughs> so I, it was booked out. I begged and begged and begged and they found a, I shouldn't, probably shouldn't say this, but yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they turned me away and I came back the next week with a booking and had their beers and, you know, it was kind of like going a, going to Brooklyn or something and uh, to lucking in on the, on, the, on the grooviest, hardest to find a Mexican cafe in the world or something. I was very excited by that. But uh, yeah, but see, I think all those ones I've named, they're pretty pure. I just want to make beer and and sort of have fun doing it. And and some of them making really, really good beer.
1: I I should actually stress, I wasn't having a go at uh, Young young Henry's, but you do see those models that as they they grow, Mm. they they, they can't keep it all in the footprint. And, you know, Sydney land is a little bit expensive, I'm told. So, you know, there are challenges. And at the end of the day, unlike wine, um, where the more hard to get it is, the more you can charge for it. You know, beer is a is a unit cost game that you can't just yeah, suddenly charge yeah. you know for, for your lager twice as much because it won a gold medal the way that you can with wine. No,
0: no, you can't. Well, I, I, I mean, I suppose I'm at that point now where uh, you know I probably I've got enough enough money to come out know, I I paid twenty dollars for a bottle of beer last night and I sort of paused on that one because <laughs> I thought you know. I remember when a case of beer was less than twenty dollars, <laughs> and now I'm paying twenty dollars for one bottle of beer. I mean, it it'll be interesting to see how that end of the industry goes if we d- really do hit um, this recession hard. You know, if the economy doesn't bounce back after what we've all been through, traditionally the beer industry is one of the early sort of sufferers in that scenario. In fact, home brewing goes through the roof. In tough economic times, because that's back when like, people couldn't afford ordinary beer.
1: Mm. Back
0: in the day, they'd make it in their in their bathtub because it was the only way they could afford to drink. We seem to have more of a disposable income these days, but should things tighten up, it'll be interesting to see what happens to all the small breweries, and particularly those ones who make the more expensive beers. You know, like the Sirens or say the uh, Waywoods or those or the farm. Some of those farmhouse ales are quite expensive, aren't they? Mm.
1: Mm. just go back to the sort of feedback that you get when you um, write mm. your list you know again it, sometimes when you're writing for a craft beer community you know I, I get the feeling that writers feel the need to write the most obscure hard to find beer because they need to impress people who are very knowledgeable mm, about mm, uh, beer yeah. um I, I would have thought that you might also almost get blowback if you write about something that because a, a good friend of mine rory gibson um who was a career male um beer writer yeah, up here yeah, for a long I time rory. new rory yeah yeah and uh yeah he'd talk about writing i think little creatures in the mid 2000s he rem- wrote about Little Creatures five or six years after it was probably the easiest to get craft beer and he would get essentially hate mail from people going, oh, why are you writing about these really obscure beers? You know, what... Uh, what, Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, hey, does the wine reviewer write about um, cask wine?
1: (laughs) But that's the thing, you know, is Uh, is there a parallel between beer and wine writing? And how how do you, do you ever sort of think, oh, I can't write about that because, you know, for example, it was a one-off that no one will ever be able to... Yeah, all right. I've
0: always... I've always, look, even when I was on the Telegraph, I didn't get that feedback. I mean, obviously, there are people who have that reaction. That's fine. That's a given, isn't there? There are people who are set in their ways and want to drink a certain beer and think, you know, and they they think that, you know, if you give them a Melbourne instead of a VB, you're going to poison them. Um, I don't get concerned by those people. And in the early days of putting together the top 20 list, we were sponsored by one of the big um, bottle shop chains. So there was an expectation that the beers would be available nationally because then they would go into that bottle shop chain. Um, Like everyone in advertising, they fell off now. And I don't care. Um, I'd I'd prefer write about beers that are available across the 12 months. And it's a funny thing, isn't it? Like you drink for 12 months between the lists and you make notes and then you go to find that beer that you really liked and they're not making it anymore or (laughs) the one-off or... And now I just don't really care, um, you know. If it is a one-off, I think sometimes, uh, and in fact, quite often, sometimes the the beers that are in there are a bit like uh, the um, they're a uh, they're a prize for a body of work. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I generally, if you can't get this beer, this mob generally make good beers. Yep. Or uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. I think last year I put in this mob, and I think. I had hadn't done any research on it. I just drank the beer and I was I was in a rush and I put it in. And I think they were working out, I think they were home brewers from about two suburbs away and i I drank the only beer they'd ever sold. I think they were able to track <laughs> me down as their customer. But hey, that that gives you a little bit of cachet. People start to look for those beers, maybe. I don't know. Makes me, you know, that's the wanker in me now. <laughs> that uh, do you like writing about beer, Matt, actually describing beers?
1: Um, it, it, it's one of the things that I have this constant internal dialogue about because mm. I do, but then everyone's palate is different, everyone's experience is different, um, mm. to the situation that people are drinking, and I, I just have this constant debate with myself about what beer – should beer be anything in particular? And I was just about to ask you, you know, on, on one hand there are some beers that I – describe as sit back and contemplate the enduring mysteries of the universe beers. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah, you, nice. you drink yeah, them very yeah. slowly, the the alcohol sort of gradually bleeds into your system and you mm. ponder them the magnificence of everything. Um Yeah. But, yeah
0: so that's generally about nine percent, isn't
1: it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then there are beers that you, you want to drink when you're sort of sitting in on the couch in front of the cricket, you know, on, yeah. on, on Boxing Day and they're not yeah. the same beers. And you know, should our experience be the same?
0: Yeah, and, and also because I think I, while my list is obviously subjective because I'm the only person who has any input to it, um, I do try and keep it across a broad range of styles. I mean, I got so bloody sick of IPAs a couple of years ago, um, and wouldn't drink an IPA if you paid me to, but I include them in the list and I taste them, you know, I, I, I would actually. Uh, go out and do tastings of IPAs because I think it's important to cover everybody's taste Mm. I suppose why I ask you because sometimes I I reckon the best beer review I ever read there was a guy called Barry Dickens he's a Mm. Melbourne writer sort of a sad comedian he's old sort of Fitzroy Carlton (laughs) beautiful writer and I just remember he once wrote a column about beer and or about, he wrote a column about Crown Lager. I don't know why, I don't know apropos of what, or maybe it was only a couple of paragraphs, and I'm just trying to remember exactly what he said, but it was along the lines of, uh, this beer reminded him of an encounter with John Laws, you know, a sleazy guy in a blazer with a, <laughs> with a gold button, and I think silk slippers or something like that. <laughs> it was basically... Scratch the surface, and there's not much there. Um, <laughs> and I thought, oh, it's such such a beautiful description of a beer. It tells you exactly what that beer is without ever mentioning malt, or hops, or lagering, or fraud, or whatever one of words you words you want to associate with that beer. But uh, yeah,
1: I, I think my equivalent of that description was saying Crown Lager was <sighs> the, the bloke that had a win on at, at the races and wants everyone to know. Yeah. Yeah, so it was that yeah. sort of beer, but but I, I guess that's the, the the thing when you I, I know that you love wildflower, that's for great, example. Good I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and when you write about wildflower, you don't expect wildflower to be the same beer every time, and in fact, that is uh, Topher's art is yeah. expressing every beer differently. But then Ooh. there are a whole Ooh. lot of uh, craft brewers who put pilsner on the label of their can, and they don't taste the same every time that you pick up a can of you know, they're, they're Pilsner or they're Pale Ale. And there are some styles that really should be tasting the same um, every time you pick up the can and not batch-to-batch mm. batch difference. And that's where I struggle with uh, beer. There are some beers that really are, um, you know, shouldn't be put into words um, mm. because the, the experience you get will always be the experience you get. But then there are others where it's the process and the philosophy that actually speaks louder um, than anything that, that the drinker gets.
0: Yeah, and look, isn't that true? Because you know, you you go back to beers that are, you know, that are, oh, I'll go back to beers that have been in the top twenty list, and I think, ah, oh, you know, I've always liked that one. I'll i grab some from the shelf, and I'll bring it home, and I go, oh no, what's going on there? You know, and I don't reckon I change that much. Um, some of those beers fluctuate wildly between years, don't
1: they? Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and and that's where I come back to it. You know, when you start talking about I, I've Been in some breweries and I've had people raving about beers that I know is, it's it's got a fault. It's not a fault that's going to hurt you, but it's, you know, whether it's diacetyl Mm. or whatever, I know that that's not meant to be there. And mm. so you know that it's a fault. But then somebody will come racing and go, oh, man, isn't this awesome? Because they like, you know, that, that, that butterscotch yeah. or, you know, w- w- whatever it is. And, yeah, and, and you just sort of think, well, who's right? You know, is, is it the beard judge who would mark that down? Or this guy who doesn't know any better but just loves the flavour because he hasn't been told that he, he shouldn't?
0: Well, there was nearly a punch-up about 55 years ago. When you um, Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. the Hunter, came to Australia, and all the crafties are falling at his feet, and you know, he was signing books in a very shaky hand, um, and he somehow hooked up with one of the blokes who I think was the head of the um, Royal Easter Show Brewing. You know, he, he's a serious beer judge. He's a white jacket guy. Yep. Michael Jackson held forth that a fault wasn't always a fault Yes, and these two were supposed to be judging together and it, it really got quite heated um and you you're really cursed if you've got a bit of a uh, if you can pick up that diacetol mate um which uh, i'm uh, quite sensitive to diacetol too it's uh i walk in a bar and i oh, sh- bloody <laughs> diacetol and that once every five years I've, I've forgotten what happened last time and i say to the barman hey mate um, psst, just quietly no, everyone else is drinking it, mate. <laughs> yeah. What do you want? You want? Your, I'll give you your money back, mate, if you don't <laughs> like it, but everyone else is drinking it. That's our most popular beer. It's supposed to, oh, and this is the, the line that I love the best, it's supposed to taste like that. It's craft beer, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Shouldn't have opened my stupid mouth, but. I'll often send off a text to the brewer or something like that. Get to this pub and get your beer off, you know. But then again, if if it's working
1: for them, and I mean, how many times you've had the argument with guys who say that I, you know, Stella's not nearly as good because they make it here now, and what they were actually tasting was a cooked, um, you know, a a, a cooked aged beer.
0: Well, that's what everyone thought European beers taste like. Mm. Yeah. They were stale. Everyone thought that that stale taste was the taste of European sophistication in
1: brewing. The short answer to your question is like, yeah, I don't know what I don't know what, <laughs> what beer is meant to be, and I just uh, yeah. you know I, I encourage people to learn more. But then again, um, I, I, the, the reason we drink is for the pleasure it brings us, and uh, people get pleasure from a whole lot of different things.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yep, and uh, oh. Thank God for beer. Thank God for
1: that <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day, thank God yeah. for beer. Yeah. So uh, now, mate, good I, on look, you for
0: good on you for thinking so hard about
1: it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, it's work. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, Peter, before we let you go, you do have your yes. top twenty list coming out uh, this week. This podcast will go out a couple of days in advance. We have a very small uh, listenership. Just how uh, are you willing to break any embargoes to give us any hints of uh, what we should be looking for, or what what uh, oh, well, whose stocks look, we should be shorting in advance of? <laughs> uh,
0: going oh, well, it's just me. And what, what do I know, mate? They're just the beers that I like. But I, I think I name-checked some of them before, didn't I? I, I? I think the stuff that's coming out of Last Siren is outstanding. I think that old mate Tofa at um, Wildflower is making some great beer. Uh, what else got in there this year? I God, I can't even remember. Oh, the... Um, Prancing Pony is a brewery that I really like, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm a little bit interested in mid-strength beers, which might again be a reflection of being an ageing white guy. Um, did any zero-alcohol beers make you listen? Well, to you? I'm glad you are. <laughs> no. no, they did not. Um, even though I had actually just started, I have just started drinking non-alcoholic beers, and I was really tempted to put some in because I was giving my liver a bit of a rest recently, and just went to. What, what do you drink when you don't drink beer or wine? I didn't know. So I went to the supermarket and there was a Cooper's non-alcoholic beer. And I thought, well, as long as I tell myself it's not beer, I'll be all right. But I was pleasantly surprised and then went through, tried the Bitburger um, and another one of those Euro ones. And that's an It's
1: inter- an interesting area. But
0: what I did include was a um, gluten-free beer.
1: From Two Bays down in... Uh... In, no oh. i do
0: i real. i do like the two bays and i'm familiar with them and i'm i'm only familiar with this because my um my wife my long-suffering wife sue is is now a celiac and it broke her can you imagine <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> she couldn't drink beer anymore so i kind of lost my wingman um which is a shame because you know i always enjoy going oh you know try this one you know it's uh, this is fantastic uh t- yeah, I found a little one out of Canberra um, using ancient grains and a careful brewing process. Um, it's called Wild Polly.
1: Oh, yes. Uh, Wild Polly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, I'm I have heard impressed. of those.
0: Yeah, it's a bloke down in Canberra. Both his sons are celiacs or outside of Canberra. Both his sons are celiacs and... Um, I mean, what a great dad. Here he is. He started up a gluten-free brewery. It's only gluten-free, so that his sons can drink beer when they turn 18. I mean, father of the year for me. (laughs) Absolutely outstanding bloke. I want to meet him. Um, No, if he's got kids like mine, they'll probably grow up and they they won't drink beer or something. Because kids, kids will always always go the other way won't they yeah yeah, yeah. they'll,
1: they'll yeah. whatever dad drank i don't want to drink but i'm, I'm
0: yeah I, I won't even tell you what sort of beer my son drinks
1: oh my <laughs> god so long as he doesn't drink seltzer uh
0: no he doesn't but uh yeah my wife started to actually just bought a full pack of them the first ones yeah because well she's very limited when we go to little yeah. brewery so uh, willie the boatman started making a seltzer I mean, it just tastes like flavoured bloody alcohol water to me. It's all, yeah, but. West Coast cooler people. from our days? Uh, yeah, God. God, I remember was working in a pub when that came out. Um, Yeah, but anyway, at least it, it doesn't have any glutens in it. So, mm. it's all right, isn't it? It's a refreshing drink, I guess. Uh,
1: now, I, I have to ask because while Polly is a small little brewery based in Canberra, you no, are. You've been Googling. It, <laughs> but is it um, you I have a national column in you know Australia's only surviving broadsheet what yeah. what hurt are you going to do them this weekend when they appear in your list and suddenly people start you know their phones ringing off the hook trying to source their beer
0: Oh I think you overestimate the power of my words fate. <laughs> Um, I yeah, I don't know that people will be flocking there. but uh, Well, anyway. you, you, uh, at you at did say that people on...
1: tear the page yeah. out and they uh, sort of go yeah, around yeah. and shop to that list. So so I'm pretty sure they're going to get a spike in demand.
0: Well, I hope they do because it's an excellent beer, the one that I've listed in there. Um, I think it was the Pale Ale. Um, I don't have the list in front of Yes, it was. Um, yeah, well, good luck to them if that happens, but I doubt it will, mate, But uh, yeah, a very niche publication,
1: The Australian. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter, Lullo, it's been great having a chat with you. Hopefully, once these borders open, I can actually join you uh, at one of your favourite breweries, and we can continue uh, the, the old man, uh, you know, ruminating uh, part of the discussion over are beer. you Are
0: you in Brisbane?
1: Are you Matt? I am in Brisbane. So if you're coming well, up, well, for I'm the always cricket... up there
0: for the Brisbane Test. I used to hang out at the Archive Bar, but it's just got a little bit too enthusiastic for me now. So you'll often find me across the road at the Bowery.
1: When you are in Brisbane, we'll have to catch up for a beer. And if I'm in Sydney, uh, that'd be great as well. But uh, congratulations. Uh, thank you. I look forward to the complete list of uh, 20 beers this Saturday and uh, hopefully join you for one at sometime soon thereafter.
0: Okay. I hope you didn't lose too many listeners by having me on gibbering. Right? mate. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And that was Peter Lawler. His top 20 beers of the year will be featured in this Saturday's Weekend Australian magazine. As ever, I look forward to some very interesting discussion in the Facebook group this week, as I suspect that this list will be very different to the Hottest 100 or the Beer Cartel Survey. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Crime Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Crime Malt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of this conversation and the Radio Brews News channel. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show.